Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Major News. White Wine Question Time is going live. We're doing three shows in London's West End in the autumn. I can't believe it. And we've got some incredible guests lined up for you. So on Saturday, the 18th of September at the Leicester Square Theatre, uh, we will be doing a show with Craig Revell Hallwood. Yeah. Just as you can smell the sequence of Strictly as it comes back to our screen. Then on the 9th of October... I can't believe they've all agreed to do this, but we're reuniting the cast of Grange Hills. So I've got Todd Carty, Tucker, Lee McDonald, Zamo, and Alison Valentine, who played Faye, and there'll be more to be announced. And then finally, on Saturday, the 13th of November, the cast of Dunbreeding. So Tracy Ann Oberman, Julie Graham, Tamsin Athwaite, Denise Welsh, Julie Newman will all be joining us to do a live show. Tickets are on sale now, available from the Live Nation website, Ticketmaster, or wherever you get your tickets. Come and see us! Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks three thought-provoking questions of its guests, usually over three glasses of wine. And my guest this week is a woman who's well-versed on the airwaves. In fact, she started on local radio at the age of 14 and almost 30 years later is still there at the age of 43. Only these days, it's on Radio 4's Woman's Hour. Having left local radio to work as a runner at the BBC on shows like Top of the Pops, she spent years climbing the presenting ladder on shows like Watchdog, The One Show, Four Rooms, and even made the Strictly final in 2015, just as Britain's biggest factual show, Country File, came calling. Born to first-generation immigrant parents from India, she's just published her autobiography, The Right Sort of Girl, an incredibly revealing and ballsy read that charts her childhood in Bradford amidst the chaos of a large, loud and often complicated extended Punjabi family, juxtaposed to her childhood and teenage years spent living a more Western existence than her relatives had, making her, she says, a shapeshifter, too white to be brown, too brown to be white, always trying to fit in, but never feeling like she did, trying to be everything to everyone, whilst often losing herself in the process. In 2008, at a warehouse party in Hackney, she met and fell in love with her husband, who she now lives with in East London. He was a huge support to her during lockdown as she wrote this memoir, encouraging her to speak her truth, go big or go home, and dare not to settle on a happy ending. So she went there, and I mean, she really went there, and I can't wait to hear more. So let's dial up Anita Rani. Kate. I mean, what an intro. That's like this. I almost feel like it's the this is your life. It kind of is. <laughs> that was absolutely spot on, all of it. Oh, good. The raw nerve of saying I hit. I was in the Strictly final. 
I was oh, semi-final. <laughs> Not that, no, I mean, I'm over it, obviously. Clearly. <laughs> Six years on, robbed. Exactly. <laughs> I'll be going to my grave, you know, as an older woman. Should have been the final. Shaking my stick. <laughs> Who beat you into the finals, just out of interest? Anton and Katie Derham. Yeah. Oh. yeah, it's all good. It's all good, man. It's all oh, good. good. So, your book, we're speaking um, a week before it's in the hands of the general public, but it's in the hands of reviewers. And I'm guessing family and friends as well. So, how are you feeling? Because I know you've been quite frightened about the response because you really have gone there. I have, yeah. Um, I'm terrified. Well, I have been. That's not true. Let's be truthful. It's a week to go. Uh, a month ago, I was absolutely petrified. Um, but now I've sort of found my courage. It's I've had, I've had a word with myself and I've thought, I wrote it. I've put it on the page for a reason. And now don't ruin the experience by just being terrified and sick to my stomach about it. Like I want to just enjoy the process. And what happens will happen you know either people will enjoy it and hopefully it'll help a few people but yeah obviously I'm nervous because I have gone there as you say it's um I wrote it in lockdown it was like right it was like therapy it reads like therapy it really does and and I think you know you're in that sort of what is it Rosa Parks says I've learned over the years that when one's mind is made up this diminishes fear and it felt oh, like yeah. you, yeah, it felt that that was you, that was your state of mind writing this because, I mean, I, I remember just the starting going through it and I was like, wow, you call, you've really called your granddad out. He's a bit of a, yeah. 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 And then, yeah. and then you go through the rest of the family and actually it's so gripping Anita because you've told it as you saw it and you have been brutally honest um, about everything, most, most particularly yourself. Yeah, I think if I was going to write something, it had to be, right? Otherwise, what's the point? And also, my experience is different to a lot of people, you know, and I don't think there are many books about growing up as a young Asian woman in Britain in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. And I was writing it for my 16-year-old self, which means I'm writing it for a lot of young women who don't see themselves yeah. in the landscape. But on top of that, I really recognize that being on people's on country file on a Sunday night or strictly or woman's hour now, which is like another major, like, major, like that does make me feel like a little bit sick in my mouth. Every time I think about it, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's brilliant, but it's terrifying. It's amazing. I mean, you only started the show recently. Now I know what that means in broadcast terms. Like, did yeah. you have to go and have a lie down once you got that call? Yeah. 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 I mean, I ran around a bit. I went for a run and listened to Kate Bush. <laughs> <laughs> What a way to celebrate. Kate, Kate, me and you are going to do Women's Hour. Um, <laughs> thanks for getting me this far, babe. Um, and, uh, it's, the, it's the night before the first show where, I mean, the anxiety of, you know, what I'm stepping into. But like you say, it's only, it's only six months. We've only just started. There's a long way to go yet. I hope. I hope. So um, let's see what happens. Well, um, congratulations. I've, I mean, it's mega. You and Emma, really great new voices to the airwaves there, really. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. You said that, you you know, you wish you'd had this book growing up. The 16-year-old you is who it was written for and that you felt so compelled to be open and honest because the quote that you wrote uh, to yourself in an open letter in the book said, the pressure cooker had started to whistle. It's speak or explode. So keep on speaking. So what was threatening to blow your lid in terms of all the things you needed to say? Oh my God. I'm probably because I'm now in my forties. Um, so, you know, you kind of get to a point. I mean, every, every decade's great. And I've loved every decade. I'm not somebody who's like, Oh no, I'm getting to 30. I'm meeting 29 year olds who are scared of turning 30. It's like, no, <laughs> you know nothing. <laughs> no, nothing. Uh, and then the 30s are great, but genuinely 40s are amazing. Like you just feel different. And I felt yeah. powerful. And a couple of things happened. I made a program about my family history. I got to make my Who Do You Think You Are, which is such an amazing thing to have happened. And, it, you know, I heard stories about how women in my family, what happened to them during the partition of India, what happened to women generally. And it really connected with something deep inside me you know, that I come from this long line of women who were incredibly powerful and like warriors, but also had no 
choice or say about anything in their lives. And it really got triggered me and got me thinking about my upbringing. Then the pandemic happened. So we're all being insular. We've all gone internal. All of us are sitting around thinking about our lives. And I get the opportunity to write a memoir. And it just... I just, I can all, it, like I said at the beginning, it's like therapy. I, all I can say is it just felt like this stuff had to come out of me. And I'm writing it for my 16-year-old self, but I'm writing it to explain about m- my experience, obviously, but like the migrant experience and what it means mm. to be a South Asian woman growing up in two cultures and that how you do have to shapeshift and bend and think about everybody else and the pressures that are put on us from within our own families. And then when we step out of the front door, um, and there's just a lot. And yes, yeah, speaker explode. I use the pressure cooker because every Indian mother has a bloody pressure cooker that's dying <laughs> and they're terrifying. And when they go, they go. So um, and already I'm getting people messaging me to say on Instagram to say, you know, well done for speaking our truth. And the biggest conversation I had was with my mum. Because as you say, yeah. you know, I've, I've really called things out and I and I, I had to. I don't feel bad about talking about my grandparents like that because it's true. And they were, they were a working class migrant family. And, you know, there was a, and they moved to Yorkshire. And I think they fit in really well because they were, everyone in Yorkshire was working class. And, you know, you, men work hard, women worked harder, and you brought your kids up as best you can. And... And that meant that a lot of people's lives were very tough. And my parents, my dad grew up in a very poor background. Mm. So it's about class as much as it is identity. Yeah. I thought about your parents reading this because, I mean, your dad is somebody we know because you've done Gogglebox together and he's gorgeous. Um, But he was quite brave in sort of turning on his heel and and walking away from an abusive relationship. Not abusive, just an un an unhealthy relationship with his family, right? Completely. I mean, there were there were just a lot of arguments all the time. You know, my granddad had come home from the pub and everyone, my aunties would scarper, like the room would just empty. Um, I mean, I wasn't around for this. You know, this is stuff that I've pieced together from conversations I've had. My dad still doesn't talk about his dad. It's very No, and I feel like that's left, I'm going to leave that to my niece to ask him. Often grandchildren can get things out of grandparents that children can't. Yeah, you're right. And, but, and I mean, you say about your granddad, um, your dad's dad, I'm not sure granddad liked his wife and kids. I'm not sure he liked anything other than drinking. Was that, that, that sounds hard to live around. Yeah, I think it was scary. I think, I don't think, I mean, to be, to be fair, I don't think he'd ever been brought up to understand anything about what love is or marriage. I think him and my grand had an arranged marriage and then they lived through the partition of India horror, violence, trauma. Mm. And then they moved to a foreign country where he, they couldn't speak any English. They were working damn hard. I talk about them, you know, my granddad going to the pub and being with all the other men as I imagine it to be. And that being the only space where he was able to probably express himself and then having to go home to his wife and kids. And that's the only place he could bring out his control and power and feel any control and power. Um, And I'm sure there's lots of migrant families who can relate to that. You know, I I say the Punjabis, which is what I am, we're from the north of India. We're the Irish of India. And I bet there's there's a few people who are from Irish backgrounds who are nodding along to what I'm talking about. You know, big families, um, patriarchal, and the women just do everything. They do everything Mm. to try and... And and you do call that out in this book. And I don't want people to think that this is some sort of, you know... Um, annihilation of your family members. It's really not. It's full of love and warmth, but it's just a really honest take. I mean, when you were born, uh, your grandmother didn't celebrate your birth because she she was quite blunt and said, we don't celebrate girls, which, yeah, you know, like that girls are not valued in 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 your culture as, as a cause to celebrate. That's just dreadful. Um, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's horrendous. Um, so yeah, like, horrendous. <laughs> the urban myth is that dad bought a crate of champagne. I think it was Carver. Um, <laughs> we'll stick to champagne. And my gran said, we don't celebrate girls. I mean, we, Punjabis are a patriarchal tribal kind of community, rural, very rural. I mean, that's my granny. What happened when, I mean, this is not just a, what's happened in Britain. It's happened in India as well, in the big metropolises, in the big cities. Within one generation, you've almost leapt five generations. So the world that my granny grew up in was 
Victorian prehistoric. They no no questions asked. Mm -hmm. Just get on with it. And women are not treated equally as the boys. And that is why, you know, I talk about things like in Britain, the most highly educated group in the UK are South Asian girls. And I say that's because we recognize from day one that nothing's going to get handed to us and we just have to work for ourselves. And we see our brothers and our uncles and cousins sitting around being treated like little princes. Ah, it is different. I mean, each, I have to say, you know, caveat, every family is different. Every culture of every family is different. But as a general rule, and I think... This is across cultures, you know. My dad had two younger brothers and they both left home and married who they wanted, both married white women. And nobody sort of did bat an eyelid, but my aunties and the women, it's like, if you step out of line, if you do anything other than what we tell you to do, then you are bringing great shame on the family. So you carry the burden as women, as being the pride and the shame of the family. And nothing is ever talked about. Everything is a taboo. So I had to call all this shit out because if you don't, then nothing changes. No, nothing changes, yeah. Nothing changes. And it's almost like I felt like, why have I been told that I can't say any of this stuff? Why am I this liberated woman who's worked hard to get to where I am? And I still feel the burden of mm. this shame. Shame. And shame. It's horrendous. Because that's what you've been raised around and with. It sort of hangs in the air, doesn't it? How, what was your mom's reaction to some of the stuff that you've shared in the book? Well, first of all, nobody else. You say my family have read. My family haven't read it. Um, oh. So yeah, so that's going to be shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so mum, Daily Mail, um, Mail on Sunday, You Magazine. They did an exclusive. They did the first interview, and it came out on Sunday. And yeah. they picked out bits and it was, I'm really, that was a relief because, you know, I love Cole Morton and he, you know, gave me a good write up. And, um, my mum, I phoned my mum and she was in tears. She was crying and saying, I'm just so sorry. I mean, I had a conversation uh, with my mum. I come, I talked to my mum throughout writing the book about saying that I'm going to go there. I'm going to say things. I'm going to talk about things. And she said, I want you to get it off your chest. And I want you to say what I got wrong because I didn't know any better. And then she said, I want you to speak for me because I was never able to. Because there's a generation, so many of us who can't speak for ourselves, so be our voice. Yeah. And she was in floods of tears. And then I felt really bad. I was like, oh God, and this is just a You Magazine interview. What's she going to do? You haven't even read it, mom. <laughs> do you know what? That makes me feel, you know, I've got little tears in the back of my eyes now because that puts her between a sort of a rock and a hard place because I've, I, it sounds like she's excited by how liberated you are, but saddened by how silenced or, you know, it's it's like the way you write about the women in your, your culture is like, you know, as and when men decide, they just hit the mute button and they all scuttle off and go quiet. Yeah, because they know that that's the best way to get on with it. My mum and dad owned a factory up in Yorkshire in the 80s, they made, they manufactured, a lot of Asians worked in the rag trade up there. And it, you know, mm. you're entrepreneurial. And they cracked on and they did really well. And most of the women that sewed in the factory for my parents, the seamstresses were women I mean, from all backgrounds. We had English women, we had Bangladeshi, Pakistani, mm. uh, Indian. The vast majority were Indian, uh, Indian and Pakistani and Punjabi. And they were, you know, again, hardworking women that were just working all hours God sent. But it was like a community center. And I just used to sit and overhear and, you know, hear about their lives and the stories. And they were tough. They were tough. And they just sucked it up and got on with it. And, you know, you could see the looks in their eyes and and you, you can feel that you can see the sadness and you can mm. see the you can also feel the love that these women have for their children. And, you know, a lot of these women's kids have now grown up and become lawyers and doctors and bankers and accountants <laughs> and all the things Indians are supposed to do. Um, but they're bloody grafted. So I wanted to honor, I wanted to honor these women that are often just ignored by society, you know, just ignored. Mm. Underrepresented. Yeah. 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 Massively. How, what, what does your dad make of this? Again, he hasn't read it, but I think he's incredibly proud. I said to him, look, you know, I want to say some stuff. And he was like, just say it. I think they recognize that, I had to get it off my chest that I personally have felt silenced and that within my, and it was really impacting me. It got to the point where I just felt like, who am I? Why am I not speaking out? It's like, even in the work environment, you know, it's just, 
get yes. on with it, with it. Not, not rock the boat, not say anything, just turn up, smile, be what you're expected to be. And it wasn't, it wasn't doing me a certain, you know, anything. It wasn't doing anything good for me. And so they, I think they know that I carry a lot and I think a lot and they just were, they've encouraged, they just encouraged me. I'd like I said, I haven't read it. I think my dad was, I've read him the funny bits. I've read bits and. Oh, there's some hilarious bits like your mum deciding that you could have a better nose. So your mum would wait for you to fall asleep and then she would knead your nose to try to make it more beautiful. What the hell is that? I know, what is that, mother? Exactly. <laughs> the thing is, my mum is like, she's amazing. She loves beauty. Like she's a real girly girl. I and mean, she loves me. Um, obviously, part of it was a rejection of that expectation of being pretty and girly and doing what I'm told. But I mean, I love it now. Still to this day, when I go around to see mum, she'll have a face pack ready for me. Would like, she? Oh, yeah. You know, yogurt, honey. But like an Indian, everything from the fridge, all homemade. And she'll phone yeah. me and say, now make five, take five minutes to put some cucumbers on your eyes. And I'm like, yes, mom, I will. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, she used to mold my nose. And actually that was in the U Magazine interview. And she was justifying it saying, it's because you fell on your nose when you were little. And I was very worried. <laughs> <laughs> no, mom. Yeah. So yeah, it's funny. When, when it comes to speaking up at work, you, you have gone there as well. You've, you've raised your voice around the, uh, the pay gender gap, um, around not just gender, but race as well. How underrepresented, I mean, we can only work with the BBC's figures because they're the ones that are out there in the public domain. But I know there was a report that said that only 10 out of the 96 on-air names earning more than £150,000 a year are from black or minority ethnic backgrounds, right? So so you you speak up a, a, about that. You also share the fact that you've had people speaking in an openly racist manner around you and you didn't call it out and now you're angry at yourself for not doing that. But, you know, you should also be really angry at them for doing that in the first place. That's the first, that's the first pit stop for the anger. Believe me, I am. Don't worry about yeah. that. <laughs> at the same time, it is, yeah, that was that spun me out. That was a real catalyst for this book as well, you know, that moment where that happened in a work environment. For the listener, would you be able to just share that moment so that they can understand why you were angry? Yeah, so, so I was basically out for a drink with some people from work. I will say no more. And then uh, somebody dropped the P-bomb and just called me the P-word to my face. And the context is, I don't know what the context, there's never a context, okay? So someone said, oh, was it a joke? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't, it was a joke, but it's not never a joke, is it? And it's not funny. And it's not funny. And it's no. not funny. And it made me feel really, and I laughed it off. And even now I feel like, who the hell was that? Like, what is that? Who am I? I am normally the person, like I can be in the, my nail salon and if I hear anything vaguely racist, I'll just, I've been known to just step in and go, no, stop <laughs> it. Like nobody say it, like stop it and defend people. And and I just couldn't defend myself. And it really spun me out and mm. made me want to think about who I'd become and why that had happened and why I was, was I that bloody grateful to be in that, on that yeah. in that space and um and to own myself like like own who I am a bit more like find my confidence um so yeah I do talk about work and but in a really you know from my own experience these are the yeah. things I have felt and you know sometimes talking about race historically has been well not even historically you know it's just a very difficult subject to cover because instantly people get really prickly and like instantly people want to make a judgment. Oh, she's saying that she's had it harder. Or, oh, what, who's been racist? I'm like, look, if we want to have a conversation about experience, then listen to what people have to say. Mm -hmm. Don't take it personally. Just listen. And I'm also writing it for, you know, other women, not just South Asian women, but other women. And we just know. We know what we've had to navigate. We know. Totally. We know yeah. what we know that we are undervalued. We know that we've had to deal with casual sexism. We know the whole Me Too movement has blown a lid on bullshit. So it's time to just, and you know, I start like Kate, I think we are sort of contemporaries. You know, I started working in TV 20 years ago. I moved to London in 2001. Mm -hmm. And there was no one like me in the landscape. And I worked in music and loved it like you. I mean, I, and it was just, 
And at the time, you don't, I didn't think about it. It was just like, right, I love it. I've got energy. And you do in your 20s. And London's amazing. And you're just having a whale of a time. And it's only looking back, it's like, actually, I was, it was, you know, I've had to really navigate and kind of mm. twist and turn and had to constantly explain who I am and being told things like, oh, you might be a bit of a risk or, you why? know, I don't know. I don't, exactly why. But, the other but, time, did, but yeah, did you ever ask why? Why am I a risk? No, I should have. See, that's no. what I mean. Like, why, yeah. am I, why am I the person that just goes, okay, and then go off and think, right, I better figure out. And I, I'm done. I'm done with kind of being that, okay, like deep breath. I mean, it's, it's a, I don't know. It's obviously authority issues, isn't it? I've obviously got issues. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's not. It's injustice issues, actually. You know, I think back, there have been times when I've done exactly the same, Anita. I've felt grateful because I'm uneducated. Uh, you know, I left school, um, well, education being unable to spell, but still managed to get a job as a journalist, you know, always walking through, walking in shoes that felt that they like belonged to the biggest imposter oh. ever. My, so, that's, made my, that's made my hairy arms like stand on end that just you saying. Yeah. That, and, 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 and blagging it really, you know, I'm from Cheltenham in Gloucestershire. So there was always an assumption that I was privately educated at the Cheltenham Ladies College. I wasn't. My family have cleaned that college and that's the closest we've ever got there. Um, so I, I understand how that gratitude of just being allowed in, you know, and then actually when you, but then when you find the courage to call things out, you get things like, stop being emotional. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. what? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm just going to have to take myself out of this room before I yeah. blow my lid. And, and listen, mine's a tiny taste of what it is to walk through life with brown skin trying yeah. to infiltrate any kind of professional life at a time when women were underrepresented, let alone women with brown skin. Absolutely. So respect to you. Thank you, Kate. That means a lot. I feel like if we don't use our platforms now and speak, like you say, we've been quiet, you've made, made to feel grateful. People turn on you and say, oh, I've been called chippy if I say yeah. anything. Oh, yeah. Oh, a bit chippy. Like, what, what what does that even mean you know and then oh and the classic you know um just angry woman you yeah know, soon as stop you... stop being angry is yeah. it your time of the month is it your time of the month that was one of my favorites used to get that a lot not so much these days but yeah, that was no, definitely no one, a no one yeah. dare now no one would dare um <laughs> i mean i call out and i just and i say and your anger is one of the chapters is called your anger is legitimate yeah and i think it's time for us to say yeah we're angry. And you know what? We've got good reason to be. And stop telling us to shush. We're yeah. done. Yeah. Some days I'm just not up for the battering of sharing an opinion that then gets literally hollered out and shouted down by a bunch of people that haven't bothered to properly understand where you're trying to come from. And you must get that a lot. I find that quite exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I avoid the Twitter sphere yeah, completely as much I do. as I can. I don't get involved. I don't get involved because, um, you know, it's it's quite a it's quite a time consuming pastime, and I don't. I think there's a certain type of person, and if you're kind of involved, and that's your world, and there's some brilliant people who can come back with some great stuff who are on there that are very entertaining to follow. Yeah, but that's not me. And also, I, my real life is so busy. I couldn't. Yeah, I, I couldn't find the know, time. I'm Instagram becomes like crack, and I can. I'm, I'm doing that, and like before I know it, I've wasted twenty minutes of my life. Yeah. I'm trying to really, um, you know, take myself away from that and be more present in the real world as much yeah. as possible. Yeah. But, you know, what happens if we just deleted all these apps? We wouldn't, it just that would be, I think life would just be a lot more calm, healthy. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, I use them. I think um, uh, social media, when it's used, can be brilliant. And it has some really good applications and I do love Instagram and I love telling people what I'm up to. And it's, you know, yeah. it's a great, great way of actually, I've met some brilliant women through Instagram and I've connected mm. loads of great brands and people who think like, like like-minded people who I'm really interested in. So it's all good for all of that. And it's kept in keeping me connected to the planet and people around the world. Like I really followed what was going on in India during yeah. COVID and the farmers um, protest via social media. And you use that platform then to encourage people to donate, to work with the Red yeah. Cross. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I get you. It's, it is, there is so much good that comes from it. And I harvest all of the good from online socials um, as best I can. But I do also think that, you know, back in the day, 
if you wanted to have a response to something that made you really angry, you would have to write a letter and that would be considered and you'd have to walk it to the post box and said, and you'd calm down. Now there's an instant rage. And, um, and I, sometimes I just think, no, listen, we have to listen to each other. We can't just make a snap judgment and pile in. These pylons are really destructive and we can't cancel people. Everybody has to be allowed to have an evolving opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Shutting people down. Um, yeah, and there's no room for nuance. And or if you say one thing that has offended somebody, that's it. You they'll never forget it. And nope. you'll always be that person who said that one thing. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, when you're trying to say a good thing and then somebody comes down yeah. on you and you're like, I was just trying to say a good thing. I carry that with me all day. My heart is too sensitive to cope with this and just shrug it off some days. And other days I can. But um, and I and I just keep thinking, you know, I'm telling my son always, use your voice speak up, help others. I've got to do that myself, but sometimes I just haven't got it in me to have the the punch up online. (laughs) No, I think we'll do it in real life. Do you know what I mean? That's the place where we get the most most impact. But I think, yeah, fixing things in real life. I've got some friends who really get into some argy-bargy on Twitter and good on them and they try, um, but it it, it does damage to your mental health. You know what? The irony of all of this is, is that we're talking about these kind of bun fights, these pylons online. And... Yeah, here we are having a really lovely conversation based on the fact that you have taken time to put down thousands and thousands and thousands of words on hundreds and hundreds of pages to explain yourself at length. And I think sometimes at length and the ability to listen to somebody. I've listened to you. I've read your book. You know, I I hope you feel heard by me. Thank you. I do, Kay. I really, honestly, anybody who takes the time to read a book that somebody has or appreciate something that someone's done and put some time and effort into is like amazing. Every time I meet someone who's read my book, every interview I've done, and I feel like, oh, thanks. That means a lot. Just you reading the book means a lot. Don't tell me if you hated it. Just don't tell me. But yeah. thanks for reading. You're really welcome. And I just wouldn't ring your grandparents if I was you. I don't have any. None of them are alive. None of them are alive. That's it. That makes it um, easier. Yeah. That does make it easier. Um, yeah, thank you. I think it is time to just, lots of people are sharing their stories. And I felt like I had a story that was a little bit different that might shed some light and help some people. Absolutely. And, you know, just talking about things uh, that I have never said. And there was stuff that came out that I didn't think was going to make the book. Um, you know, I talk about self-harming as a teenager. I was going to talk to you about that. Yeah. And you talk about it in a way uh, well, you talk about it from, from your own perspective, which is somebody that got something from it. And I found that terrifying because I started to understand why people do it. And I've never done it myself. So I've always gone, why would people do that? And now I understood why. And it frightens me. So when I wrote that, that was like, like, like I said, like all this book just sort of tip, came out of my fingertips in a place. I just sat down to write and it's like, blah, 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 it all just came out of me. And that I had tears in my eyes when I was writing it. And I came downstairs and read it to my husband and he went, that is really powerful and you should leave it in. didn't cross my mind that I was explaining self-harm. It's just like, this is what I felt. And it really took me back, took me back to being a teenager, to that experience, something that I've put in a box Mm -hmm. in the dark pit somewhere and I've never thought about. Um, And I won't, you know, it's not, something that I've ever done since then. Which is good. Why do you th- why do you think it was something you, it was almost like you're purging, isn't it? The pain. Um, what enabled you to stop doing that? Because I think for people listening, I know lots of young teenagers are going through that at the moment. And I'd love to know why and how it stops. I don't actually know. You're not the first to ask that question. And I cannot honestly remember why I stopped. Maybe I saw the, sh- maybe I felt shame. And, or maybe, I don't know, it was, you know, I was sort of late teenager. Maybe something shifted at home. I have no idea why I stopped, but it was certainly something I did. And yeah, it is a, it's a release from the pain. It brings you in, I mean, I don't want to, you know, it's in the book, but it just, I remember it. Yeah. It's really difficult as I'm mindful of not talking about this in a way that we're giving people a manual on how to self-harm. And and for the same reason, when I talk about, I mean, at that age, I was anorexic and bulimic, but I would never share 
how I lived because that is providing people with a manual that are of a persuasion that want to do that. But what I can say is that it was born out of fear and control. Absolutely. And just complete loss and loneliness and sadness. Being a teenager is difficult. Oh my God, it's horrendous. Yeah. And even if you are from the most perfect family, as my dear friend Robin's house, you know, she lived in this, we loved going to Robin's house. Her two parents were GPs. They had a stream running through the bottom of the garden. It was just like heaven. But you know, everybody's life is difficult. And mine was just had added complications. And I felt that I couldn't go anywhere or express myself to anybody. As the eldest daughter in an Asian family, I took everything on my own shoulders. And you, I learned to adapt myself to read a room, to understand what the adults were feeling and thinking. Because if you, if anything's going to go at any minute, you don't know which way it's going to go. Then you learn from a very young age what's required of you to morph yeah morph like okay what do I do I need to make this person happy okay I need to do this and and it's never about you so and you know constantly looking after other people I I don't even think this is just about being an Asian woman I think anybody who has grown up in any family where they've felt that oh yeah it transcends race it's about it's about human psyche and you know what? My mum, like I said, my mum cried when she read about it. And she said, I'm so sorry that I just, we were so caught up in our own world that we weren't. And I'm not saying this is what parents are doing. I'm sure there's some really very considerate, wonderful parents out there who have no idea what's going on with their kids. And it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and also you conceal yeah. it, you hide it. So parents I don't know. are often my the last to know because you go to the ends of the earth to make sure they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You've had a brilliant new series out. This came out in lockdown, right? Saved by a stranger. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Such I love that. What, what happens in this series is you, uh, you go with two people who have been thrown together by a major event in modern history, a news event that we'll all be familiar with, who have since become separated. And the series follows them as they try to find the individual that helped them. So the, the stranger that saved them is so moving. And you, you put together people that were caught up in the 7-7 London terrorist attacks or the AIDS crisis of the 1980s or the Bosnian and Falklands Wars. It's, it's so emotive. And it, I wanted to ask you, have you ever um, had an experience with a stranger where their, their kindness has been life-changing, life-saving or in, or truly meaningful? Well, I mean, I've, I've never had that one big experience, but on a sort of, I notice you recognize the small things that happen mm. with people. It doesn't have to be a major thing, just one small act of kindness from somebody in a day 
can just impact you in such a way that it completely changes the day for you. Mm. It could be a cab driver saying, you know what, don't worry about it, it's on me. I mean, unbelievable. Um, during lockdown, we've got some neighbors on our lovely street who we've got a, a quince tree at the end of the street and they picked all the fruit and turned it into jam for everybody on the street. Um, unbelievable, but s- small acts of kindness that just touch your heart. But this series, I was, I mean, it's one of, I'm so passionate about this series because it was so meaningful. I felt it was such an important program to have on, oh. particularly through lockdown. Yeah. Um, made me cry. It, it, yeah. My, my husband, yeah, made like every week, my, it just floods of tears, but also, you know, important bits of history to tell people about the makeup of our country. Like you say, the Falklands war that no one talks about anymore or the AIDS crisis in the 80s and like you think I mean, we lived there we were there but you forget you forget what the news headlines were you forget how badly or we don't forget we know particularly the gay community know just how badly they were treated and how they were ostracized I mean cast cast out of society almost sort of in, in yeah. the same way that lepers were yeah uh, you know 50 years before them and we were we all had those leaflets through the po- through the post, oh. and kids at school would be talking about it. Oh, can you get it from the toilet? Can you do that? You know, no one no one knew anything about it. It was just this big fear mongering. And so we tell the story of this amazing guy Mark who lived, who, who was gay and and black, and growing up in Brixton in the eighties. So came with all that intersectionality of what that means. And uh, you know, he had a, he had a, he was he wasn't living with his dad, but his mother was amazing. His mother. Was amazing. He had an amazing mum and she was really supportive. And he came out at 18 and at 19 found out he had AIDS and then spun out for a year and then had therapy with this incredible man called John Shanks who saved his life. And 30 odd years later, 40 years later, he wanted to find John. And it is one of the most moving things. And again, what I hear, what I heard from them, John saying, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about it for all the people who aren't around anymore. Mm. And that's it. If you forget about things and throw them under the carpet and you think everything's great, then we're sort of doing a disservice to yeah. what happened. We need to remember. And then with the final episode, um, two twins, six-year-olds who left Germany in 1939, Hitler's war-torn, well, you know, Nazi as, Germany. As we Jewish. were going into the war, yeah. And they and their t- and their mum and dads got on one of the last trains out of Berlin. But the way they got out is unbelievable. So they were due to get on a boat to America and then the following week. But the mother-in-law, the mother of the woman, turned up at the house and said, I've been listening to the wireless. It Things are getting so bad. You need to leave and you need to leave tonight. And they had no money. They had no job because up until that, like Hitler came into power in 1933. So they, you know, the Jewish community had just been treated appallingly. appallingly. And they were outsiders. They were ostracized. There was nothing, nothing. They had no work. They had no money. And they had friends who were the caretakers of the apartment block that they lived in, this German family. And they had two little sons uh, who were a year younger and a year older than their six-year-old twins that the boys used to play together. And the caretaker, who'd already helped the father by hiding him one time when he was going to be taken away, said, I'll give you the money. I will give you the money to get on this train and get out, and I want you to go now. I will pay for you to leave. And it's really emotional. Yeah. And then they packed up. They packed up and they got on that train and they got to the border with Holland and they all got told to get off the train and leave their luggage on. So all the families got off the train. The train exited, so all their luggage, all their worldly belongings that they had, the only thing they had were the clothes that they were wearing and whatever was in their pockets. So everything left and they said, right, you can get on the next train. But they didn't know where the next train coming was going back to Germany or into Holland. And thankfully, the next train that came took them into Holland they, they arrived in Britain. Four days later, we declared war on Germany. This family then, using their rations, they got a job eventually, using the money that they, the small amount of money they were earning and the rations they were getting during the war, they paid the German family back oh. and they split their rations with them. 
And so they wanted to know what happened to the caretaker and his little boys. And I will tell you what happens, but I think you should watch the episode. Oh, no, you've got to tell me. <laughs> Shall I tell you? Yes, I, I need to know. You're going to fry my brain otherwise. So we find out. Well, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't get to Berlin as a production because, of course, we were making it through COVID. So we kind of hired somebody in Germany to do all this digging around for us. We found out about the family. The caretaker and his wife sort of died in the 50s, but he actually, through the war, because he would ref- he refused, he refused to play ball and and was still helping Jewish families during the war, he got sent to a concentration camp, the, the German man, because he just point blank refused. I know, he was amazing. And then, you know, I found, we found out that the younger boy, they had two little boys, had died, but the older one, was still alive at 89 years old. Oh. We did a reunion. Oh. Two 87-year-old men and an 89-year-old. And honestly, it's the most life-affirming human moment you will ever see. And they say, we were denied our friendship all these years. Oh. Maybe we can be friends again. I'm crying. Oh. I'm crying. It's amazing. Oh. Honestly, Kate, it's human beings can be the most beautiful beings. And I always believe that, that, you know, inherently we are good. There's a few bad apples on every tree, but, you know. But then, you know, we don't know what happened in those people's lives. No, No, exactly. You You always have to ask why. You always have to ask why. Wow. You're right. Yeah, humanity. Humanity in a time where we, you know, we we don't know where we are at the minute. All sorts Mm. is going on. It just like a program that people needed to watch that's wonderful connection and it makes you ask yourself like well who's who's kindness you know and it could be the teacher that propelled you to greatness it could be yeah you know it, it doesn't matter everybody's got one in their back catalog because somebody somebody somewhere has always uh, somebody somewhere has been in our life to make us turn left right or keep going forward you know yeah shown us like you said yourself you know the act of kindness um that's it that's all it takes and sometimes it's just one conversation that can change everything it's one act of kindness that can change everything and that's massive what you've just shared I don't think you or I can ever compete on that level no No, exactly so when we like do that you know I mean I need to spend some time sure there's moments but you know Yes, small acts. Like I feel, I feel like people talk about kindness, and it's like you know, all these. Obviously, these are big stories that, mm. that have happened. Amazing things have happened. But again, these are just humans doing what they think is right in yeah. that moment, uh, and it doesn't feel like a big deal to them at the time. But of course, you know, in hindsight and in history, it's massive. It's you know, they're changing the course of people's lives. They save people's lives. But I feel like actually just doing something as simple as standing up and giving someone a seat on the tube or the bus. It's being thoughtful, isn't it? It's just just being aware all the time. Absolutely. Just just be yeah. good, people. Just be good. I know, I know, but don't get me wrong. I'm not like, you know, some we all have our off days and sometimes I walk around fuming, you know. <laughs> so Exactly. Yeah. 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 I just blame hormones, which is a the cheat's way yeah. out. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we're angry women. <laughs> exactly. Emotional, angry, chippy yeah. women. Chippy women, yeah. <laughs> the name of a band now I know you are a huge music lover so I want you to share with me two songs that soundtrack two big moments in your life the records that transport you back to those times the moment you hear them I mean, I'm a big junglist, right? So my 90s is when I came of age. I went to university in 96. And, you know, my life changed in a jungle club because I felt in drum and bass. You go into those clubs and everybody is from all walks of life. And it was a really interesting space to be in because no, it, you were people, kids were black, Asian, white, middle class kids. Everyone was there and you were there for the dancing and the music. And, and I loved it. And I'm absolutely liberating, especially leaving home for the first time, leaving Bradford. And there is one track that, um, and it is the track that was quite symbolic in my relationship. I talk about it in the book because when I met my husband, he was about to, I was working the next day or, you know, so I had to leave and 
and he was like, "Don't go yet. I'm about to play. About to play a set." And I was like, he was oh, a good DJ at this party that you were at, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. And then he played the first track he played was MJ Cole's "Sincere," and I absolutely that to me. I mean, it's still a timeless classic. Mm-hmm. That album, sem- seminal album, to use a phrase. <laughs> um, you know, it was kind of the early days of Garage, um, late days of Jungle, and MJ Cole is a classically trained musician, and this album is sensational. And it is still to this day, I mean, it was at that time in my life when it came out, you know, it's a moment where it was just, ah, oh, it meant so much. So that's definitely one of them. And when, when, you, when you hear that, obviously it makes you smile, I can see that. Talk to me about that moment where you just met because he's gone on to become your your partner in life. And, yeah. and what was what was that moment like meeting each other for the first time? Um oh god, the one thing I so I'm really good at talking about absolutely everything and doing with my shame, but I'm really not very good at talking about like how I feel and meaning being vulnerable and all the rest of it. Still learning. But it really felt like I'd known him forever. Oh. It felt like um, I sort of saw the universe. He's got these very open and honest eyes, my husband. And it sort of felt like I looked into his eyes. And it was like, I saw, I saw the universe. Oh, but, I can see you're embarrassed talking about this. Like you're trying to, you're, you're, you're being all goofy. Yeah, I've been squirmy. I've been squirmy. <laughs> um, he is, he's really, he's very kind, very kind and very different to a lot of men that I grew up with. Not my brother. My brother is incredibly sensitive and beautiful and sweet and soft and vulnerable and all the rest of it and but he is and it was just a revelation revelation you wrote a beautiful thing in the in the book uh where you talk about um i think there was a loss in your family of your your one of your your dad's brothers had passed and you'd only just started dating and he had no hesitation in driving you 200 odd miles up to bradford and walked into your family home was it for the first time now, we'd met my dad once before. Just the once. Yeah, yeah. just the once. Um, yeah, my, so this is my dad's my, my dad's youngest brother. He was my favorite uncle. He was an artist, which, you know, he went to art college in the 80s. Wow. Uh, he was an Asian man. Yeah, proper dude. He'd rock up in his, you know, Doc Martens, his big parker smelling of patchouli, disappear into the attic. And I'd sit outside his room listening to The Smiths and The Cure and The The and like all this amazing music, which... I guess that's, you know, part of my musical journey as well, having this mm. cool uncle that was like introducing me to all this stuff. But let's face it, not many brown people were, brown women anyway. I mean, they probably were. They're probably all in their little rooms doing the same thing, but I'd never met anybody. Yeah. And he sadly passed away, didn't he? He died. He died and he died. He was only 44. It was a big God. tragedy. Whole family, yeah, no, super young. And uh, um, Buppy just bundled me and my brother into his red crappy red Corsa and drove us up to Bradford and it was midnight and I remember walking in and like Buppy walked in after me and he just hugged my dad but in a way that was just so instinctive right he was only he's a bit younger than me so he's only like 29 I think and I just thought most men would wouldn't know what to do because mm. my dad is grieving like he's just found out his little brother's died and he's broken and he just knew what to do. And it came naturally to him. He just, but not just a hug and a pat, he held my dad. Oh. And my dad just allowed him to do it. And I've never seen my dad do that. And it was like so powerful to watch. And I, mum, mum said, because uh, she read yeah, an extract and, and said uh, it was in the interview. And she just made her, she said she remembers watching that and welling up and thinking he's a really special young man, you know, to have that capacity. So, yeah, he's all right. He's all right. He's he's good. Look, you're you're desperately trying to just like, okay, should we move on to your next track? (laughs) No, no. Yeah, there's so many I could pick, so many I could pick. Um, But, you know, it has to be, let's go for it. Let's go for it. I think because I've already talked about her. I know which one I'm going to pick. Go on then. It's Kate Bush, Wuthering Heights. Amazing. Got to. Anthem. Anth- I mean, there's so many things. I'm, I am really thinking about this off the top of my head and I will put this down and go, oh, I could have picked this and I could have picked that. And yeah. there's loads of dance music and there's loads of hip hop and there's loads of bits of jazz that I listen to. And, you know, yeah, that, but that's fine. But Kate Bush, I'm picking her because to this day I can put that track on. I mean, anybody can put that track on. It's a timeless classic, but it's also the fact that she wrote it. 
when she was, what, 16? Mm. 16? That nobody had, nobody had heard anything like it before. Like, it was just unlike any piece of music. I often wonder, you know, those moments where somebody puts something out and it's heart stop moment. It's like, what the fuck is that? It's like when the yeah. Beatles came out or when the Smiths, yeah. people first time they heard the Smiths. I guess in my generation, it was hearing Goldie's Timeless. You know, that, you know, like, or Bjork for the first Bjork, time. yeah. Is Kate Bush somebody you turned to? Because you talked about the fact that, you know, you went for a run when you got the call. Yeah. That you got women's out. Is she somebody you turn to in those seminal moments? Is she like, like, a, like a pacifier? Absolutely. She's, she's a, she's like my spirit animal, man. Yeah. She's with me all the time. I mean, those, those, those songs are so powerful and all consuming. You know, you play... Hounds of Love or mm. Running Up the Hell or Army Dreamers or whatever. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't even move for this. This is like this commands my attention. It's not music that you just have on a in the background. Also, dancing, dancing to Kate Bush, dancing to Wuthering Heights, getting it yeah. on, doing my freestyle dancing because dance for life, you know, that is part of the, the other reason I love music is because it just makes yeah. you move. And people talk about mindfulness and, you know, taking yourself out of it. Dancing is mindfulness. Just get just yeah. physical, mental, spiritual, the whole thing. It's perfect. I, I, one of my favorite things to dance to in the kitchen when it's like party for one is Beyonce set at Glastonbury. Love I, it. Can, I can shake the night. I can shake my way through a bottle of wine to that and be really happy. Go to bed exhausted. No one's seen the clown like moves, but I feel like for the night I was the greatest dancer. <laughs> and then you can use the wine bottle as a microphone as well. It's perfect. I love exactly. Yeah. Bay all day long, all day. Amazing. Oh, thank you so much, Anita. I've really enjoyed your book and I think you've been really gutsy, but I'd expect nothing less. It's out now. You've also got an incredible podcast where you feature really smart women predominantly, isn't it? Yeah. Um, who have who've gone out there and, and, you know, like cream, risen to the top. Uh, yeah. despite some some pretty big obstacles uh, and you can get that wherever you get your podcasts and thank you much love thank you so much that's it for this week's white wine question time i hope that you have enjoyed listening to anita rani as much as i have if you want to read anita's book i'd encourage you to do so it's brilliant the right sort of girl is out now as is her podcast it's anita rani as always this show is produced by me kate thornton with libby knowles and richard hatherall for yahoo uk our music is provided by andy bell we'll be back next week with more great chat until then take care out there If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in today's episode, then please do contact Mind. They're an amazing charity that supports the mental health of people all around the country. You can call them on 0300 123 3393 or email info at mind.org.uk. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.